listening to the Daily Talks podcast where my mom, Dali, empowers parents like you with parenting tips. My mom's mission is to help parents make their child raising experience easier and more enjoyable by sharing valuable lessons to save them unnecessary struggles. The Daily Talks podcast is for any person already parenting or planning on parenting a child. Each week you'll hear different experts talk with my mom about important aspects of parenting, self-care, and of course their specialized area of bullying awareness and prevention. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, go ahead and do so now wherever you may be listening. And don't forget to set up your alerts so that you don't miss any episodes. Let's get started! Guys, thank you so much for making time to come to the Dolly Talks podcast and show. Um, and I decided to bring you on because I've heard you speak before. You've come mm-hmm. to Clubhouse and given us some wonderful advice. Yeah. So I'd love for my now new listeners on, on the podcast to know who you are and what you do. So will you please give us a little intro? Sure. Thank you, Dolly, for bringing me onto your show. I am so excited for what you're doing, and I am honored to be here on your platform. So my name is Gaz Adederin. I am an attorney, an education attorney. I am an author and an IEP coach. And when you hear IEP, you know, it's just basically an individualized education plan. And this is for kids with disabilities. So what I do is I work with children and their parents to ensure that they have the appropriate IEP for their kids. And um, that's what I do every single day. Yeah, and you do it so well. I mean, you do other things too um, that I think people should definitely go and check out your Mm -hmm. Instagram and your webpage. So tell me, how did you get into this field specifically with IEPs? Yeah, very, very interesting. So before, well, I'm a mother of three kids. And um, when I got pregnant with my second kid, um, the doctors realized that he was going to have a couple of health issues. And when he was born, he presented with those health issues. And from the get-go, we had a lot of medical practitioners. Um, by the time he turned three and had to go into preschool, you know, we were introduced into the IEP process. And for me, it was challenging. I remember going into my first IEP meeting. And before that time, I was already an attorney. I, you know, I had a law practice. I was practicing bankruptcy and immigration. And so I thought I knew what the law was, but when I went for my IEP meeting, I was shocked. Um, It was a meeting of about no less than a dozen people. And they were just saying things that I'd never heard before. Um, And I, I first asked myself, are all of these people here to talk about my son? And what is it that they want to tell me that I don't know? And apparently I did not know a lot. And so after that day, I just told myself never again would I be put in a position where I have no idea what I'm getting into, especially my child's education and just my child's right. And so that prompted me to shut down my law practice and refocus first on my son. And then in the process of focusing on him, learning the laws, the advocacy skills, what I needed to know, I just started to grow and just felt the need to help mothers because Again, remember, I was an attorney before that meeting and I thought I knew something, but I didn't. And so my passion is to ensure that no mother enters an IEP meeting without having a basic understanding of what that process is. Wow, that's so powerful. I mean, I can kind of yeah. relate to your story because that's how I started my my business, you know, an event that I felt like I was so blindsided. Mm-hmm. So 
I love that about you because, and I didn't know this, that I know you have a child who has an AIP, but I didn't know that that's how you'd start and got started. <laughs> and I feel like that's so important for the public to know, especially if they're going to work with you, because you're not that attorney that just advocates and helps the parents. You've been in that situation. Right. So you right. know how parents feel. Wow. Yeah. And that, that takes a lot. That's a huge risk, right? Shutting down your practice and then just starting pretty much from scratch. That's yeah. incredible. I love that. Because a lot of parents, the IEP process is overwhelming and it's complex. And when you get in there and you have this experts saying all sorts of things about your child, you feel, you feel lessened. You feel like less of a mother. You're like, do I know, am I doing the best for me? Am I, am I doing the best for my child? And so for me, shutting down the practice was like, okay, I have to sacrifice something to help my child. He had a lot of needs and I wasn't just going to hand off everything to the school and say, yes, take care of my son. I wanted to know what is it they're doing? What is the plan? How do we educate him? And I know you are uh, a bullying prevention advocate. Um, the, the research is out there that children, children with disabilities are prone to be bullied. And I was fearful because he, he was nonverbal for a long time. And I, you know, so my mind was, how is he going to go to public school? How is he going to be educated? He's nonverbal. How is he going to be protected in school? So all of that was what's going on in my mind that caused me to say, okay, this is it, this is the right thing. And thank God that was, um, that was about eight years ago. Oh, wow. And you've done yeah. so, so well. I know that you've helped so many people. So yeah. let's talk about a, a little bit about something you mentioned that you were in that room with all these people telling you about your whatever about your child and mm -hmm. you were blindsided. So let's talk a little bit about what how should a parent should, I guess, prepare for a meeting like that and anything about their legal rights that they should know. Oh, yeah. Okay, first of all, um, before you get to the IEP process, the very first thing you're going to encounter is the evaluation. And evaluation is not like a test where, you know, your child has to do a written test. You have to have a couple of people and depending on your child's needs, my child is autistic. So he had a cognitive assessment. He had a speech assessment because he was nonverbal. Um, he had an occupational therapy assessment. Um, the school will look at the whole child to determine what are the weaknesses. So that's the one thing they want to see. And then the second thing is that they want to know how those weaknesses impact the students' everyday life in school, in social, um, social, um, emotional learning, all of that. So they would do a whole assessment. After the assessment, they're going to give you a report. Okay. So this is all before the IEP. When you have the report, they're going to call you in for the IEP meeting to discuss the report. So when I went for my first IEP meeting, that was them discussing the report. And that report is, oh my gosh, it is detailed. It is expansive. It is difficult to understand and it's difficult to take in. So besides the fact that there are the scientific and special words and languages in there, this might be the first time a mother is going to hear that maybe her six-year-old is reading at a two-year-old level or a 10-year-old is functioning at a two-year-old level. So it is very emotional and it can be very complex. So parents, before you go for your first IEP meeting, first of all, request for that evaluation report ahead of the meeting so that you can read it, you know, get over the shock 
of what they're going to say and then have a second person look at it and kind of tell you what it means, kind of break it down for you and then go with somebody. You know, the IEP process, like I said, it's it feels like it's them against you because there are a whole lot of specialists sitting on the table and then just you. So I would advise parents always, always go with your partner, you know, your sister or your friend, anybody, anybody that you can, they can go with there with you to act as a support person for you. Um, another thing is when you're at the IEP meeting, you want to fully participate at the meeting. You want to understand what they're saying. You want to ask questions and you also want to take notes, all right? You cannot do that at all times. You cannot be the person listening, talking, and taking notes. So mm -hmm. always have somebody there with you who can take notes for you. And then after the meeting, you can revise the notes and then ask questions of the team if you want to. Okay, I have a question because you said um, get the report before the meeting. So legally, do they have the obligation to provide that report several days or a week in advance to that meeting? Um, the law, and again, when we're talking about the law, I'm talking about the IDEA, which is, which is called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. That is the law that protects our kids, children with disabilities. And in there, it states a lot of our parental rights. There really isn't a clear law that says the school must give you the documents. But the law also provides that parents is the most important member. The parent is um, the parent is expected to fully participate at a meeting and logically, how can you participate in a meeting when you haven't reviewed the documents ahead of time. Right. So it is best practice to for the parents, first of all, to know your rights and then second to tell the school, hey, before the IEP meeting, can I have the documents four or five days ahead? Some schools will say, well, there really isn't any law that tells us to do that. There really, there really isn't any provision. The way you can push back or responses to that is I want to participate, fully participate per the law. Can I have the document so that I can be fully participating at the meeting? Okay, that's good. That's really yeah. good because I can see I'm that type of person that does want to read everything because uh, I've learned the hard way, like so many people, to read yeah. everything and then I make notes and highlights because I want exactly. to be able to ask uh, as many questions as possible. So you, uh, to recap, you said, um, they're going to do the assessment and then they give you the report, which is the first meeting that you have your first IEP meeting is when they yeah. review everything and to always mm -hmm. have a note taker. Um, yeah. Is it possible for a parent to ask permission to record the whole session? Yes, absolutely. And now it depends on your state, okay, because recording a meeting is not provided in the federal law. Um, every so let's walk back a bit. The IDEA is a federal law, all right? But every state in the United States have enacted their own state laws. And so you're in Maryland, right? Yes. Yeah, so Maryland has their own special education laws. I'm in Texas, we have our own special education laws. So you need to look at your state laws and see what it provides. Besides that, when you wanna record a meeting, that is a state-specific provision. Um, Texas is a one-party state. What that means is that I can record a meeting without telling you, as long as one person knows, and that one person can be me, so I don't need to tell you. Best practice though, is to tell them at the IEP that I wanna record this meeting for my record, and they will say yes. When you ask that and you're recording the meeting, the school will more, more than likely record the meeting as well. And so I always tell parents, yes, absolutely record, but tell them you're gonna record because it just 
it's just best practice. Mm -hmm. um, if your child is a child with disability, chances are they're going to have the IEP for a long time. And chances are you're going to have these people for, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade. And so you want to have a collaborative um, working relationship with them. When people find out that you're recording them without telling them, they start to look at you like you're not trustworthy. You don't think they are trustworthy. And then so you might have to start you might have some fractures in the relationship and you don't want that. You want a team that is working together at all times for your child. Right, absolutely. That's something that I tell my parents too when I'm helping them through the bullying reporting process. You know, always ask if you can record it and always share and tell them, hey, I'll record it if it's okay with you and I'll even give you a copy. You know, um, yeah. So what about the people that should be involved in that meeting? Can we talk okay. a little bit about who should and should sure. Sure, but before we go that, I wanna um, finish up something on the recording. Mm -hmm. So um, under education law, okay, when you record a document or when you write certain documents, they become part of your child's record, okay? And so when you record and you give it to the school, you can ask them that you wanna put this in your child's record so that you have an accurate representation of what happened. Because believe it or not, the schools are institutions and they tend to just run fast, fast, fast without stopping to do a thorough job. If you record a meeting, you have a clear understanding of what exactly happened, what they said they were going to do, what their expectations are. And so it's usually good to um, ensure you, you record and put in your child's record. So um, your, your question about who can attend a meeting, a meeting, a meeting I'm sorry. Um, the law says there are certain people that have to attend a meeting and there is a long list of it. Um, the parent is the very first person the law um, expects to be at the meeting. So that means you're the most important person um, because the law is not written haphazardly. There's a reason why the parent is the first. So you have a parent, um, you must have a special education teacher. You must have a general education teacher um, you must have a representative from the school district who is able to make decisions on behalf of the school district. So what that looks like is if you go for an IEP meeting and um, the parent is requesting for, let's say, for example, extra speech therapy services, the principal might be at the meeting, but she doesn't have a right to make that decision because those decisions are made at a district level. So at every IEP meeting, you should have a representative from the school district who is able to make decisions that binds the school district. So let me recap, you have a parent, you have a general education teacher, a special education teacher, um, or district representative. And in some cases, the district representative can be the principal, assistant principal, or someone from the central office of the district. And then the law also lists a couple of people that can be there. So if your child requires um, speech therapy, the speech therapist has to, has to be there. If your child requires a physical therapy, the physical therapist has to be there, um, and so on and so forth. And finally, the law also allows you, the parent, to bring somebody who you feel will benefit, or who, who, who you feel um, has knowledge about your child. And the same way, the school district also has the right to bring someone they feel has knowledge about the child. Oh yeah, that's a lot of people. And, and in a way it's really good because I can see how it's putting together a team that can um, fulfill every need. Right, right, right. exactly. Okay. So then exactly. when they're going through the, the report, um, do they make the decision then 
to implement certain courses of action or do they give the parent a few days to think about it or to decide what approach they want to take? Okay, so uh, that and that's a great question because again, I went in there without knowing anything. So I'm like, what? <laughs> so when you go for the first meeting, the first IEP meeting where they're reviewing the report, everybody that um, assess your child will have time to talk about their portion of the assessment and make their recommendations. So um, if you had a speech therapy that speech therapist that assess your child, she will read her portion of the evaluation report. The physical therapist would do the same. Um, the licensed school psychologist would do the same. Um, if there was um, a counselor that did something, they'll do the same. At the end of the day, they will make a recommendation and say, okay, based on our assessment, based on the evaluation report, your child qualifies for special education and they need an IEP. Then they're gonna propose, you know, okay, we feel like your child falls under one of these 13 categories of disabilities. And there was something else I forgot to mention. Under the IDEA, remember the IDEA is a law that protects our children. It states how children with disabilities will be taught and educated in school. The IDEA lists out 13 categories of disabilities. And so for your child to get an IEP, they must fall within that 13 in one of those categories. If your child doesn't qualify for any of those 13, they're not gonna get an IEP. Okay, so the, so the role of that assessment team, that first meeting is to determine where does the child fall under and if they fall within one of those 13, then what services are we going to provide for them? Mm -hmm. That's really, really good to know. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So uh, back to my question about um, how much time do the parents have? you know, once the, the solution is presented to them. Because um, I'm assuming they have a choice to go with it or not. And exactly. Right? Yeah, so yeah. how much is there a certain amount of time that they have to come back to the school? Yeah. It is usually, and again, it's state specific. So the federal law gives you the federal guidance and then every state has theirs. And in Texas, I believe it's five days. They give you five days to say, um, do you want to come for the IEP? Do you want to agree to the IEP? So let me back up a little bit. Before the assessment, the school will seek consent. They're going to come to the parent and say, we want to assess your child because we feel like he or she has some challenges. You, you have to say yes to that. You cannot say no. If oh. you say no, because they are obligated by law to assess every child that is suspected of having a disability. So if you say no, they can go around you, go to, go to a judge to get a consent override. Um, your withholding consent. So once they're done with the assessment though, they now have to ask you, mom, can we give your child an IEP? Because the IEP is not automatic. You, the parent, have a right to say yes or no. And at that point you can say, I don't want an IEP. No, thank you for the assessment. We're gonna end it there and nothing happens. If you say no, if you don't wanna wait for the five days, like, no, I don't want an IEP, then that's fine. You can, your child will you know, be in school without an IEP. Um, that is not usually the case. A lot of parents, you know, deep down that your child needs help. And so when you get that request for IEP, most parents will say, yes, let's do it. Right. Yeah. Cause I don't think I've ever met anybody who, who said no, because yeah. I always want to help the child, especially when you have a lot of experts involved and they're all agreeing on, Hey, this is what we see and right. this is how we can fix it. Um, so 
Oh, I just had a question and it just slipped my mind. So, oh yes. So you mentioned something that the, sometimes the school will initiate the, you know, the IEP, but a parent doesn't have to wait for the school to initiate it, right? The parent can go exactly. to the school. So who exactly would they go to, to request this IEP? Very good. That's a very good question. Um, that is a really, really good question because parents feel like when they talk to the teacher, like, oh, you know, my son is struggling. Can I get an IEP? That is not the person you need to talk to. You know, um, you want to make a request to the school for an IEP. You want to make a request for special education evaluation. And you can start with the principal because the principal is the person in authority. So you want to write a letter or an email to the principal and say, I want to make a request for special education. Another thing you might have heard me say, maybe on Clubhouse, is you must put it down in writing. You can't just verbalize a request. If it's not written down, it never happens. Yeah. So we were discussing um, who to go to. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I said you have to make a written request to the principal of the school. Um, ideally, you should be writing a request to the director of special education. Every school district has a director of special education, but a lot of a lot of parents don't know that you know we're just on the campus dropping off our kids so please send an email to the tm to the printer and say you know i i'm requesting for a special education evaluation that is enough you don't really need to do anything bogus and she will respond and say okay we're going to give you a consent form to start the process once you start it you're going to have people reach out to you to try and get a pre-assessment meeting this is where they sit down with you and talk about, okay, what are your concerns? Um, and after you're done sharing that, they're going to share with you, this is what we're going to do. This is you know, this is the assessment. This is what we're going to look into. And then once you sign off, it starts the process. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. I didn't know that either until you mentioned that the, the director of special um, education. education. There are so many people up at the district level that do so many things and yeah. we're not aware of. Um, yeah. So what about the, I guess, benefits with government, with higher government, once they have an IP? Because I know that sometimes parents, uh, they worry about the costs of these evaluations or therapy or anything like that. Can you talk a little bit about what parents should yeah. have? Yes. And, and I talk a lot of, about this in my book as well. There are myths and misconceptions about IEP. The IEP is provided to you at no cost. So zero cost, um, you only have to make the consent, sign the consent on the school because you're a taxpayer, you know, you live in that environment, you attend the school district, they are obligated to provide all of the services to you and your child at no cost to you. Um, if your child requires an, I, um, an iPad as an assistive device to communicate, uh, example, if your child is nonverbal, you're not going to pay for the iPad because um, those iPads can be expensive. The, um, the communicative the software can be very expensive. And if the school, once they complete their assessment and they feel like this is what is going to help your child communicate in school, it comes to you at no cost. Um, even after the school conducts its assessment, there's, there's something called the IEE. It's called Independent Educational Evaluation. Um, after you receive that first assessment from the school and you are not so sure that was an accurate representation of your child, um, you can say, 
I don't agree with this. I, you know, I really want someone in independent to assess my child. You can request for that IEE at no cost to you as well. What that happens is, what, what that looks like is that the school will say, okay, go get um, somebody to evaluate your child and we'll pay for it. Um, so that's usually what happens. But again, the law gives them the right to say, we don't have to pay for it. If we, so we being the school district, if they feel like the assessment was comprehensive enough, they can say, no, our assessment was good. We're not gonna pay for an IEE. Instead, we're gonna file a lawsuit to defend our assessments. Oh, wow. That hardly happens. It, it, it really it rarely happens because it is cheaper to pay the parent to go get an assessment than to file a lawsuit against the parent. Okay. So, just so, that, so just so that you have rights and you know you don't have to pay for those assessments. Right, oh, that's so good to know. Um, and also yeah. if the parent were to pay for it on their own, do you happen to know the approximate expense amount? Uh, it really depends. State is statewide. Um, in Texas, I know that assessments can go from two thousand dollars above, and I feel that that might be average. But I've heard that in California, you can get that six k above, and oh. so it really depends on where you live. And so, um, before you run out and get your own assessment, please go through the school process first. Let them do their own comprehensive evaluation. After that, you can request for um, your own IEE, um, your own IEE. Mm -hmm. But I know that sometimes some parents, because you know a lot of parents, again, you know, you mentioned about the IEP process being filled with experts. Remember, parents, you are the expert of your child, and you can tell when something is really off, you know, off your child and their developmental um, progress. So some parents, before they even request for special education, they go get assessment by themselves and it's fine. But when you do that outside of the special education process without consent or permission from the school, they're not gonna reimburse you for that. They only reimburse you when they have done theirs and then you, um, you say, no, I don't, want, I don't want this, I want an independent, then they can reimburse you for that. Okay. And then you also said that there are a lot of myths and, uh, you know, things that just parents, yeah. don't, you know, so can we talk a little bit more about what other? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of my favorite topics. Well, I have a lot of favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> Discipline, I think is my most favorite topic. Um, myths and misconceptions. Sometimes people just feel like special education, um, children who are in special education are, dumb, um, they're not smart, they are at the bottom of the pile. No, absolutely not. You know, look at our five fingers. They're, they're all different, but they all have a function. If I was to lose this finger, I would feel it. You know, so no child is less than the other. We all have strengths and disabilities and I wear glasses, you wear glasses. Can you imagine speaking with me without your glasses? You'd be like, what am I saying? <laughs> you know? So, you know, some 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 deficiencies, some disabilities are more than the others, but that doesn't mean they are less than the others. So that's one. And no child is too, no child is beyond teaching. Every child can learn if you give them the abilities. And the whole essence of the IEP is to teach a child how they can learn so that they can be productive members of society. Um, I always tell people that the spirit of the IDEA, the, the whole rationale behind the law is so that our children can go to school if they want to go to school. So it's called um, future further education, 
future employment or independent living. So the whole process about the IEP is to get your child into one of those three buckets. And everybody can, anybody can do that given the right resources. So that's one. Um, the second stigma that I get is um, that once you put a, a label on a child, it's on there forever. So once you put, once you label a child autistic, he's going to be autistic forever. Again, <laughs> disability is disability. I've been wearing glasses since I was three years old. So what? You know, if a child is autistic and going to be autistic forever, so what? But but again, there are other kids who come to the IEP based on deficiencies that they can get caught up on and exit the IEP process. Example: Some kids um, come to school with speech delay and they just don't have comprehensible speech and so they come to iep process they give them intensive speech therapy and guess what by third or fourth grade they're cut up and they don't need it anymore and all of a sudden they're exited out of the special education system and they're regular education kids and so it is not forever but i always tell people if it's forever so what as long as your kid can you know can be productive can go to school if they want to, can get a job if they want to, or live independently. Um, even if your child is not able to do any of those three things, you give them an education. You put them on some, you know, you give them an opportunity that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I feel like some parents feel very devastated when they hear that their child has to get on an IP and they feel like that's it, you know, right. like the end of the road or something. And um, it can actually be such a huge, um, wonderful, beautiful tool that can help their child um, thrive and help them to understand their child better, Absolutely. understand their needs. Yeah. Wow. wow. Well, I can ask you so many more questions. <laughs> we can have a long, long discussion. But I want to ask you about that beautiful book that you wrote that was so yeah. educational to me. I mean, it was so much information, too. So um, I, know. I know that I probably need to go back to it, especially when I get a parent who tells me, hey, my child's being bullied, they're on an IEP, and um, they have special needs. And, you know, which is something that you mentioned earlier in our conversation that children with disabilities are usually targets of bullying. Yeah. And that is so true. And that's not just here in the United States, that's globally. I always mm -hmm. want to make sure I mention that um, when we talk about this topic, because um, that means that we parents need to be um, bigger allies, bigger advocates, even if they're not our children, if we see another yeah. child school system being bullied and they have a disability, we need to be the people who stand up for them and, and say something. Um, right. So can you tell us a little bit about the book? What can people expect from the book and where they can they get a copy of your book? All right. Um, so the book is titled IEP at Your Fingertips, and it is a guide for special education parents, parents with children with disabilities. And I know you mentioned is a lot of information. I wrote that book with a, from a mindset of a mother, even though I am an attorney and I work with parents against the school district to fight the school district or get services. This book was written from the perspective of the mother. When I started out, I didn't even know there are IEP books out there. I just went in blindly. And so this for me is a guide that gives the parent like a clear picture of this is where you start. This is the next step. This is how you prepare for your IEP. When things go wrong at your IEP, because they will go wrong, this is what you do, and this is how you can get services and more resources. So it is a roadmap from start to finish. Because again, like I said, my passion is that not one parent goes on like me. You know, I was the 
guinea pig. You know, I went in there without knowing anything. And so, yes, that's my fault. But I don't want any of you, any of the listeners, anybody to attend a meeting without knowing anything. And that book will do that for you. Yeah, I agree. Because like I said, I'm the newbie to this. And I love (laughs) that you broke it down really simple. Like you got all the jargon that I've heard of parents have been intimidated from, um, you know, and it's so simple. And I like how you broke it down into chapters too. Um, And I, I kind of read it the first time really fast. And then the second time I took more time because yeah, it's, it is a lot of really good information. And I also want to just mention, mention that because it's not an intimidating book. Not at all. No, it's not. And and again, sorry to interrupt you. Just like because I know that I'm speaking to mothers and mothers really don't have the time to sit down and read books that are like dense and just boring. I try to make the book as simple, as colorful as possible so that we can, because there are lots of charts and diagrams and pictures to help you kind of understand it. And every chapter has a case study so before I delve into the topic, I kind of give an example of people that I have worked with, what happened to them. I give you the story explain, and then ask you, what do you think this parent should have done? And then we go into the topic. So it is very, very engaging. Um, if you want, I can show your audience a sample of what it looks like. Yes, to, <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see it, but it is really colorful. There are lots of charts in there. Um, just so that you know and all of these orange buckets and i don't think i've given you um a hard copy yet i need to send one to you dali oh you i would love that it. yeah <laughs> yes. it, it gives it breaks down everything into so that you can just take a look at it okay this is what it's saying because again we are parents you have a job you know we have to cook and care for the family the last thing you want is to just hours and hours reading a dry textbook. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and you also hold uh, webinars each month, right? Yeah. Yes, I hold a webinar the last Saturday of every month. And this is something I started this year. And the webinars are usually centered around your rights as a parent, because again, I don't want you to go in there like I did and just not know what's next. Um, so every month I put it on my Instagram, Hey parents come in and it's free. Like I said, it's my passion to teach. Um, so you come in there, we'll talk about your rights and how to prepare for an IEP meeting. Right. And lastly, parents might be wondering right now, so why would I go to an attorney for, for why why would, why would you go for an attorney? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there are many reasons why you need an attorney. Sometimes you need an attorney just to be an advocate for you because an attorney can advocate for you. And there's also this myth that people think once you have an attorney, things are bad. Not necessarily. Um, sometimes you go to see a doctor to prevent, you know, things from happening. So sometimes you need an attorney to prevent the relationship from breaking down. So you can have an attorney to go with you to the IEP to just advocate for you, um, to explain the laws and expectations, and explain to you what the school can or cannot do. Um, so that's what, what that's one role an attorney can have. The second role we can have is when things have broken down and you're like, okay, I need help. I'm gonna give you a quick example. There was this parent recently that had been going back and forth with the school. She needed a service for her child and the school just kept giving her the run around for years. She spoke with me, signed up with my firm. Um, that same day, I called the attorney and said, hey, what's going on? 
Do you know that you guys are violating this child's rights? He's a child with disability. That day, the, the issue was resolved. And she was like, how, how is it possible? So it, it is unfortunate that sometimes you have to pay attorneys to, to work to get your rights because these are your rights. And again, it's all in the book. Hopefully when you read the book, I attend one of my webinars, you have an understanding that you can use those rights and advocate. Because once you start to advocate for, from a position of, I know my rights, the school will start to listen to you and you might not need an attorney. Right, yeah, that is really sad because uh, yeah. man, the representation matters sometimes, you know, who's yeah. speaking on your behalf. Wow, yeah. and, that, and that's really great. Um, and so who would pay for the attorney? Is it, is it does that fall under IEP funds? Uh, would they reimburse the parent or is that all on the parent? Um, it really depends on what stage you are. Um, if you are getting an attorney to just come with you for the IEP to call an attorney to kind of, you know, iron issues out, that would be out of your pocket. But if you were to sue the school district for something like they, you know, violated some of your rights, your child's rights, if you win that lawsuit and under special education is called a due process hearing. If you win at the due process, you are entitled to your attorney's fees. So the school will have to pay you back. But that's when you have to go all the way. But I talk about that in the book um, because there are way there are different ways to resolve disputes. You can use an attorney to resolve dispute here, or you can go all the way and file a complaint. And if you win there, you can get attorney fees back. Right. That's good. That's really good to know because um, there are so many different types of situations and parents. Uh, it's good to just have an idea of what to expect instead of having to find out as you go, which can also- Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That was me. So like, nope, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I don't want anybody to do this because having a child with disability is hard. It is difficult emotionally, financially. It takes a toll on you. And so when you have to now go to school, go to the school environment and learn as you go, it is a lot of heartache. And so if one parent can watch this um, podcast and learn something, I am blessed by it because it is hard. It is raising a child with disability. It is something that you're not prepared for. You're not. Yeah, I can only imagine. Okay, so before we wrap it up, um, let's uh, end it in a, in a little more interesting note. Um, yeah. What are some of the things, or maybe one thing that you can mention that you have been so happily surprised about your child with his uh, special needs? That is so, I love that question. And thank you for asking it. Mm -hmm. um, before I mentioned that my child was nonverbal, he spoke his first word at the age of seven, eight. And so for the first six, seven years of his life, we didn't know word at all. And when he started speaking, um, his first word, first word was no, second word was yes. And then he went to school and then we started getting feedback. And then the teacher said, do you know that your, your son speaks Spanish? I'm like, wait, how? <laughs> he's been, he's been silent for years and now she, because he goes to bilingual school where, you know, he's integrated with uh, children that speak Spanish. And while they were teaching them and speaking, my kid was picking it up and, he responded to the teacher. He knew his ABCs in Spanish. He knew one to 10 in Spanish. So that was, so again, that's what I say. No child is, no, no child is beyond teaching. So regardless of their disabilities, they're getting it. They're just going to present in a different way. So that was surprising for me that a so-called nonverbal autistic child, when he started, finally started speaking, 
he could speak and understand some, not a whole lot of Spanish, but some Spanish. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's good. I mean, really the understanding even just a little bit <laughs> enough to like respond back with a few words. That makes yeah. you bilingual. So here yeah. you are and your child is bilingual. <laughs> I know. And I'm not. So nonverbal to bilingual. How is that? How yeah. cool is that? Oh, right. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for sharing it. Thank you for asking it. I've never been asked that in a long while. So that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, and is there a um, a story of a parent that had a really good outcome that you just you expected a good outcome, but it went above and beyond? Oh, that'd be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. because, because, because this is what I do every single day. And yes, there are some there are some beyond like, oh, my gosh, thank God that happened. Recently, I had a kid um, who he's not autistic but he's severely um maybe emotionally disturbed he had a lot of disability a, lo a lot of emotional disturbance disabilities and he was on his way and i don't know if you've heard me speak about the school to prison pipeline he had, he had been suspended then he was being expelled to the juvenile school um but we we're able to pull that back and bring him to school and um get the IEP team to work together and for the very first time, because a lot of IEP teams, we know we talked about this, they are very institutionalized. They want to just go boom, boom, boom. But this team was the first time that we were actually a team. They brought the kid to the meeting. They asked them, how can we help you? The, the kid said, this is what is helping. This is not what, I, I don't like this. I feel like you guys hate me. So it was such a collaborative. I just loved the whole atmosphere where the parent was there, I was there, the school's attorney were there, um, the team was there, and the kid was there and was given a chance to advocate for, for him. For me, that is the model. And I think I even made a post about it when that happened. Like that is the model IEP. And going forward, I know that at my next IEP, I'm gonna ask the parent, can your child attend and tell us? Because they have voices. Even a nonverbal child can tell you what works and doesn't work for them. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Absolutely. It's like, ask the person who's having the challenges. That makes right. sense. Oh, I yeah. love that. And yeah. lastly, if you were to give um, any advice, and I know you've already given a lot of advice, but any <laughs> words to a yeah. person who is either new to IP or is, oh, yeah. has been on one and they just feel like it is not working for them? um there's help out there there's a lot of help out there you just know where just you need to know where to reach out to there are services there are free services in your area and state um if you need legal help there are legal aids in your environment where you don't even have to pay money to have an attorney attend with you um so just just know where to look out for and people like dolly and myself we are very much on instagram um, wherever you are, send me a DM. Hey, where can I get this help? And I can direct you like, okay, go to your state department or go to disability right or go to the legal aid in your area. So never ever feel alone. Cause again, raising a child disability can feel very lonely at times, but just know that there's a community of people out there that are willing and ready to help you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gauz. You are amazing. I love You're welcome. you. You always teach me so much. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And um, I guess we'll have to have you back on the show again to get more updates. I know that laws change and um, yes. have different stories. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Dolly Talks podcast. 
and I hope that you find a lot of value. And can I ask you for one more favor? Take some time to review this podcast if you find value in it. And I will be back next week. Have a wonderful day. Hey, did you like that episode? If you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening and write a review. If you want more tips or some behind-the-scenes videos, make sure to follow my mom at Dolly Talks on Instagram. You can turn on notifications for her posts and stories as well. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. See you next time.